And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield, Mississippi State, getting ready for SEC play this weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, down in Baton Rouge against LSU. Dogs went on Tuesday night against Samford, 10 to 2. And so, Charlie, we've gotten all these preseason non-conference games out of the way. We've had that nine-game homestand. The dogs finish eight and one on. So, as we get ready for league play, where are we? Well, our pitching is pretty good. Uh, like we thought it would be, especially in the bullpen. It's just been outstanding. If you go back and you look, what, one game, maybe you can say that the pitching hurt us? Is that it? Middle game against Tulane? Yeah, probably so. They put some good at-bats together in the middle innings, built out that 9-2 to two lead. Yeah, that's probably the only time. The pitching has kind of been a little short. Yeah, and so you go back, you'd have to say your pitching has done the job you needed it to do. Hitting, boy, he's still got a little ways to go, I think. Although, I will say this, you go back to that last game against Kent State. We sat here on a Sunday morning talking about how Mississippi State needed to kind of switch things up a little bit. They did that, and it seems to have paid some dividends. Yeah, Rowdy seems to be a different guy in that two-spot in the order. DeBruyne's been okay in the leadoff spot. He had three walks in a game on Tuesday night against Sanford. You want that leadoff guy to get on base. And you know, just moving everything around, the move of Cameron James to third has really helped out the fielding. Forsyth has been really smooth out of shortstop. Oh, boy. He is. He looks like a really special player defensively. I think that guy's going to make Mississippi State fans happy a long time. Behind the plate, Logan Tanner. Good heavens. Oh, yeah. I mean, he has been just a dominant defensive catcher. And then the guy at the plate who I feel best about is Luke Hancock. Had a big night earlier this week against Samford, but he's had a lot of good days at the plate. Really has. I want to go back to Forsyth for a moment. You know, Charlie, we talked about it last year, about this program has only had, for the last 35 years, two guys that have been four-year starters at shortstop. One was Brad Hildreth. The other, Matthew Maniscalco, that has not been a position for Mississippi State where we have thrown a whole lot of freshmen out of shortstop. And Forsyth just feels comfortable out there. He looks comfortable. He looks like he has a little swagger when he's playing defense, and he's got a tremendous arm. Does he remind you of anybody? I haven't been able to draw the comparison. When you hear people talk about him, you hear about how good his glove is and you good how good his arm is, and you start to think, is he a Maniscalco guy? But he doesn't look like Maniscalco out there. No, he's not as bulky as Maniscalco. But he reminds you a lot of Maniscalco going in the six hole, going backhand, because he has that strong arm. I mean, he kind of rights himself, and he stays low, and he has that really strong arm. That kind of reminds me a little bit of Maniscalco. His glove action is really solid. It's smooth. I mean, there's a guy that he just looks like he's confident out there. And you've got to have a have a shortstop that has some moxie out there and really feels like he's good. And I think he feels like he's good out there. Yeah, you, and you can just see it. And it's one of those things that's made that whole left side better because Cameron James playing you a better third than he was giving you at shortstop. So at the plate, and we talked about this a little bit this past weekend, about where we are right now at the plate. We had their struggles in the Saturday game this past weekend against Eastern Michigan. That guy was dealing. By the way, later in the show, we're going to talk to Kendall Graveman, and he looked like Kendall Graveman to me, getting ground ball after ground ball after ground ball. Well, we have like 15 ground ball outs yeah, in that Yeah, 15 ball ground outs in that game. And so we were very impatient with some at-bats. 
did that kind of surprise you? I mean, we, we've had some weekends where we've had one game where we've had the difficulties of, of really putting things together. You had that one weekend against Tulane, the one game against Tulane, the one game against Kent State, and then this past Saturday we had that one game where we just couldn't put anything together. Did you feel like a little bit of it was just human nature? You put up those, what, 14 runs on Friday, you're just hitting it all around the yard. Did you feel like a little bit of that was guys just showing up, ready to put their hits on the board? Probably so. I mean, there's probably a lot to that. You win so big on Friday night. And, of course, Friday night, you got to think about how it happened, too. Eastern Michigan in that eighth inning could not throw a strike. So how do you leave the ballpark and the mindset of a player when you leave on Friday night? Man, hey, we got the bullpen. These guys can't even throw strikes out there. Yeah, and if I get a strike, I need to be swinging. Yeah, and so the next day you may try to do a little bit too much, be a little bit overly aggressive, put some balls in the ground. And so, hey, looking back now, 14-3, and kind of feel good about where you are right now leading into SEC play. So at the end of the day, the thing you haven't had is you haven't had anything that's a terrible loss so far. Kent State's going to be a good team in the MAC. They're picked to win their league. Tulane is going to be really good in the AAC. And then TCU as well, that first loss of the season in the second game against TCU. So you don't have anything that's coming back to bite you right now. Good midweek win over Louisiana. You've got those two wins over Tulane that were going to be good for you. So now you get into the big boy, the real conference slate on the road at LSU. We'll talk about that later in the show. We've got a great show for you coming up. On the other side of the break, we're going to talk to the former head coach at LSU. Skip Burtman will join us. We're going to ask him about Ron Polk. We're going to ask him about helping Ron Polk build the SEC in baseball and those uh, big matchups between LSU and Mississippi State and get the other side's thoughts. And then later in the show, we're going to talk to Kendall Graveman. Kendall pitching now with the Seattle Mariners. Had that great career here in Starkville, was the Ace of that staff in 2013 when we went to the College World Series National Championship round. And so, good show for you coming up here on Out of Left Field. Once again, we're presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Their service is phenomenal. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. So, when we come back, we'll talk to the former head coach at LSU. Skip Bertman will join us on the other side of the break. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. It's time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the finest U.S. farm-raised catfish in the world. It's perfect. It's great. I got a box last weekend. Jen and all the kids got out of the house. They left for spring break. And the first thing I did was get a big old box of catfish, fried some catfish, had some fries to go with it. So uh, go buy Walmart, go buy Kroger, go buy your local grocer, and they've got it, the box, huge boxes of Heartland Catfish. And you can get Heartland Catfish in a lot of great restaurants around the southeast especially at Primo's in the Jackson area. Three locations. They've got the location in Flowood on Lakeland Drive, Ridgeland on Lake Harbor, and then in Madison 
on Baptist Drive. So those three locations for Primo's, they do it right at Primo's. They put it on their blue plate. It is without doubt one of the best places you can go. So if you've got a little hankering for some catfish in the Jackson area, I know you do. I know you will tomorrow at lunch. Or how about Friday night? How about head on to one of these three locations of Primo's, Flowood, Ridgeland, and Madison at Primo's, and get that great catfish produced by Heartland Catfish. If you haven't got time to go and eat it in there, call them. Do the curbside service and get that great farm-raised catfish brought to you by Heartland Catfish. Well, let's go to the phones and talk to the former head coach at LSU, a big part of these Mississippi State-LSU rivalries. Coach Skip Bertman joins us. And, Coach, uh, I was talking to Coach Ron Polk just a little bit ago before we called, and he said to tell tell Skip, now listen, don't let him think he got the better of me because we played 70 games against each other. He won 35 and I won 35. i tell you what, how did you put up with him for all these years? <laughs> right. Yeah, but that doesn't include the eight nothing game that I was ahead in the seventh inning, and uh, the Floyd Kramer, the old uh, commissioner, said, "Well, we got to play this one tomorrow." And of course, he couldn't because he, he didn't realize how important the uh, you know regional tour. <laughs> anyway, uh, how'd you put up with him? It's, it's amazing. He's a uh, a good friend from sixty years ago. You know, long before Mississippi State, he did an awful lot at Starkville and in the SEC to get the athletic directors to bump up some of the games and or other things that would make us competitive nationally. And he did that before I was even there. I was at my school in Miami, but uh, yeah, Bill Rod for <laughs> he he is still so. Tell him, tell him, I don't forget to tell him. I was ahead eight nothing when Kramer had a cancel. But that wasn't enough. Yeah, he can't remember that one. <laughs> That's right. That eight nothing lead, LSU led, you guys led eight to nothing over in the SEC championship game, 1990. That was that John Harden tournament for us. And, yeah, so they called that thing off. Yeah, we were on Commissioner Kramer's side on that one. So they declared us co-champions of that tournament. <laughs> well, we'd like to forget that one, too. I'm curious. Now, Ron Polk told us the story that back when you were coaching in high school in Miami and he was an assistant at the University of Miami, that he was a very good defensive shortstop on a fast-pitch softball team that you played first base on. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, that's that's good. Remember, we were we were very young, and he was very good softball player and a shortstop. Yeah, and then of course I played a little first base, and that that is true. And then he actually he was the assistant coach to Charlie Green at Miami Dade South. You know, before he went to Miami, and yeah, that's when we played. Yeah, he was good. He was good. He was a good coach, of course. Uh, he did a lot for baseball in general, and of course, a tremendous amount for Mississippi State. So, what you're saying is, Coach, is he wasn't good enough for you to to recruit him? If you if you were trying to recruit a good shortstop, I don't know if you put him on your team. So, you spent 11 years as a high school coach in, in Miami, and then uh, moved over and was an assistant coach at the University of, and then 
made the move after eight seasons to Baton Rouge to become the head coach at LSU. I mean, you're a Miami guy, and then coaching in Miami. Coach Polk talked to us a couple of weeks ago about how the, there was a couple of schools when he was at Georgia Southern that tried to lure him away, Baylor, Florida State, a couple of places. How hard was it for you to leave Miami to go to Baton Rouge in the mid-1980s? That's a good question. It was very, very tough. The AD called after we won the national championship, AD from LSU, in 1982, and I told him no. Of course, he still had a coach at that time. He said, can I call you next year? I said, yeah. And um, the next year in 83, uh, you know, I talked it over with the family, and it was a tough time. I was 44, daughters of college and high school and junior high. And, of course, we'd never been anywhere else but Miami. What made it uh, happen uh, was my good friend and the head coach at the University of Miami, Ron Frazier. He just had no plans of retiring. And uh, he went about 10 years after I left. And then it was easy for me because I wanted to be a head coach. I knew I could do a good job and as much autonomy as Ron gave Miami. Uh, you know, you put him out the head coach. But he was great to work for. He taught me a lot. Off and on, he'll be a very, very good coach. We've enjoyed talking over the years about what Ron Polk did coming to Mississippi State and building the program. I, I think back to when you went to LSU in the mid-'80s and, you know, kind of some of those first big names that you were bringing in and, one of our favorite SEC baseball personalities is Ben McDonald. I'm wondering how important for you was getting a guy like Ben McDonald to help build that foundation for what you accomplished through the 90s and 2000s? That's a good one, because uh, that's true. Ben, uh, amongst others, but Ben was the, the most, uh, he was the highest on the list of people building. Had I done a better job, uh, you know, we might have done better, you know, with him in Omaha had I done a better job of coaching. But he, he's best pitcher and probably the best athlete uh, overall I've ever coached. He won his first uh, eight games with Baltimore. So he was, uh, you know, he was ready to go, you know, he went further along. But it was so long ago by baseball standards of college today that he was the first guy to get a million dollars. Uh, as the number one pick in the nation. And, uh, wow, that changed quickly. And uh, But baseball changed both in pro ball and college. Well, it certainly has. And we talked to Ben a few weeks ago, and he was talking about in 1988, you guys came up here and in Startwell, there was a crowd of you know just under 15,000. And then you look at, the crowds here at Startwell to look at the crowds that you guys were building in Baton Rouge at the same time. And you talked about those relationships and how long you've been around Coach Polk, whether it be with Team USA. Did you guys ever talk during the trips with Team USA about how you were going to build SEC baseball and, and how gratifying was it at that time just to see all those people coming to watch baseball in the Southeastern Conference? Well, it's very gratifying. Uh, yes, I was talked about by coaches besides Ron and myself. And, you know, they all wanted to be like every sport. They want to be like football. And uh, once everybody understood that football from a class by itself, and you ask yourself, well, why is that? And the answer is that's where all the money is. 
And that's why basketball is the NCAA's number one sport. But baseball and income is number two. And uh, the NCAA realizes that there is some money here for volleyball and other sports that can't draw large crowds. And I'm proud to say that I was part of the, you know, movement toward bigger and better stadiums, more and more coaches, higher salaries uh, for coaches. And, of course, I'm very proud of that. I'm looking forward to watching them in the Mississippi State LSU Series this time. But quite honestly, uh, it was always a great series between LSU and Mississippi State. And, of course, they, Mississippi State would bring a lot of people uh, until we finally filled the place up and there was no room. Uh, I like Starkville. I think the uh, people, fans, are wonderful. And I think it's a great thing there. I think John's a good AD. I think Ron's a good help in any you know, department, uh, you know, any way, shape, or form. So I think it's a good thing that got it going there. And uh, you know, obviously, first-class place, uh, they, they were the first with the biggest stadium, and now they have redone it, and uh, John outdid himself. A great stadium and the hotel, uh, hotel in Westfield is really cool. Coach, I think back to the series with LSU. There's so many players for LSU that I can remember moments of. I remember Jeff Rebelay, the shortstop, Todd Walker hitting balls out, and so many guys that had moments. I'm curious, as you think back across the series with Mississippi State over the years, are there any games or particular memories that stand out to you? Well, yes and no. Uh, one of them at LSU, uh, you know, a game at LSU, I can't remember which, I can't remember the game, but what I remember is you had to put fans on the field. You know, I'm talking about in the field of play. And, of course, the firearms playing the AD was so excited that he could get that many people. And uh, that game, in the case of this particular AD, that game showed him that there's a lot of money to be made in baseball. And I think people thought it could only be done in Mississippi State uh, because of the various locations that are close by Starkville. And I thought to myself, well, that's not true. We did well at Miami. And Florida State did really well at that. We could easily do this if, you know, we worked real hard and made better seats and had ushers, better concessions. And, of course, the now it's become place for even Kentucky. And I don't mean in a disparaging way. I mean, the cold weather built $50 million stadium. And Florida, of course, is still in their third or fourth for playing in their third or fourth this year. And I think that is. Over the course of a long period of time, the quality of the baseball also got better. And uh, I'm very proud of what's been done at LSU and Mississippi State. And uh, Arkansas did a good job. Uh, built the stadium in uh, 1997 and kept adding on. And, of course, they're ranked number one. And it's one of the other schools besides Mississippi State or LSU. Coach, before we let you go, you know, Coach Polk came around and now he's knocking on every door on campus and just walking into every practice. Are you still uh, – are they having to lock you out down there? Are you still going into practice and everything down in Baton Rouge? How's everything down there? <laughs> no, I'll tell you what. I, I know that Polk 
that Ryan would do that, you know, that he'd go everywhere, knock out every door, you know, be, you know, dug out and so on. No, I I did it when I was the athletic director, uh, you know, for ten years and, you know, I had fired pulmonary, so I was there for a long time. But now, no, 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 I'm just a super fan. Uh, I enjoy watching. You even got some binoculars. Uh, make sure I can see what's up if I can't see it on the scoreboard. But I enjoy the game. I enjoy the large crowd. I enjoy seeing the people. And uh, it's been a uh, tremendous journey for people like Ron, folks, uh, and myself. It's a tremendous journey. He's a good guy. He really is. <laughs> Coach, hey, we appreciate you, and uh, and like we tell Coach Polk when we're serious, thank you. Thank you for all you've done to build college baseball, especially in the SEC. Uh, thank you very much for calling, and good luck to you. Former head coach and athletic director at LSU, Skip Burtman. Well, learned a lot there. Love that story about Skip Burtman and Coach Polk playing softball together back in the 1970s down in Miami. That's great stuff. So when we come back... We'll talk to Kendall Grayman. This conversation has been brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. I'd like to remind you, go by those three locations in the Jackson area at Primo's, producing that farm-raised catfish from Heartland. And they do it right at Primo's, and Flowood on Lakeland Drive, Ridgeland on Lake Harbor, and then on 201 Baptist Drive in Madison. Back with more, you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Great conversation with Coach Skip Burtman, the former head coach at LSU. And now we're going to have a conversation with Kendall Graveman, relief pitcher with the Seattle Mariners. And this conversation brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, producing the finest quality sausage that you can possibly want. Made right here in the state of Mississippi, down in Rankin County. Florence, down on Highway 49, you can pick it up at uh, Country Meat Packers, but they sell it throughout the southeast at local grocers. Some of your greatest restaurants in the south, their red beans and rice, their jambalaya down in New Orleans. So many great places use the country-pleasing sausage, and the andouille is phenomenal. Of course, we talk about the original, the jalapeno cheddar, the pineapple pork, the jalapeno and pineapple now is out on the shelves and so check them out at your local grocer it doesn't get any better than country pleasing sausage and let's go to the phones and join the former bulldog right-hander and member of the seattle mariners kendall grayman joins us kendall man welcome to the show we've been meaning to have you on for a while now we've had a lot of your teammates on and uh, we we finally scraped the bottom and we got to you so I know you've been complaining to everybody about how we hadn't had you on the show yet, but uh, now you get your chance to shine. How's everything I know, going? Last, I know. I didn't think it was going to happen, but I actually had to text you to see if I can get on, so thanks for having me. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been going great. Uh, uh, it's been good. Spring training started and rocking and rolling, getting ready for a, a full season, which is, man, I didn't know if we were going to get here, but it looks like we're heading trending in the right direction. Kendall, you spent so much of your career in college and then in the major leagues as a starter. You've kind of made that transition now to being a reliever. I'm curious in terms of spring training, 
How is it different being a starter versus a reliever in terms of what you're doing to get ready for the season? <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been quite an adventure. I mean, I turned 30 years old in December, and for as long as I can remember, I've started, and that's what I was. And uh, long story short, with just physicalness of having some issues with my cervical spine and things like that, I just wasn't able to start anymore. But um, being able to pitch out of the bullpen has been truly a blessing and something I feel healthy doing. And I'm so excited about it, first and foremost. But the transition, even uh, when you're starting games, usually the first pitch of the game is going to be a fastball. and Little things like that, like coming into a game, things I never thought of. Uh, coming in as a reliever, it's, it's okay to throw an off-speed pitch your first pitch of the outing, knowing that you may only have 15 pitches. And so changing up, mixing up more speeds, um, you don't have to establish a fastball like you did when you were a starter, which all good starters do. So it's kind of, hey, be ready to throw everything immediately. And then the physical side of it is how quickly can you recover? How quickly can you bounce back and be ready to go for the next day. I think that's the one of the main parts is how often can I make myself available for my team? And that's a valuable aspect for a reliever to be able to do that 60 plus times in a year is, is very big. So, you know, I'm not getting any younger, but I'm trying to figure out ways to recover and, and bounce back as quick as I can. That's been the biggest, one of the biggest adjustments so far. So I'm curious, you know, you think about the changes in terms of physical changes of being ready to go. Who do you lean on to say, all right, man, I'm making this transition. What do I need to be thinking about as a reliever? Is there anybody that's kind of giving you some guidance on that that you've depended on for insight? Of course, we have so so much at our fingertips right now from the analytical department. Um, but I really like to lean on guys that have done it before and, you know, with similar stuff and similar makeup and mindset and last year made seven outings out of the bullpen and was trying to get my feet wet a lot of them in leverage situations close ball games and seventh eighth inning which was fun but at the end of the day I was just learning on the fly so I'm a guy that's going to ask questions and if that be my pitching coach my bullpen coach analytical department of hey this is what the they showed me the other day this is what the 10 best relievers in the league are doing um, and we see you fitting in that category. Now can I go out and execute and actually fit in that category? And so I, I reach out to a lot of people. I've had guys on my team that have pitched in the bullpen for quite some time. And even last year, kind of leaning on those. But also, how can I be a leader to these guys? And what I'm learning, um, some of the younger guys that are coming up that don't have any experience in the big leagues, what experience can I give them and help them continue to grow and learn? So. I think that's one of the biggest ways to learn is to continue to teach. And so I'm trying to do the best of gaining knowledge and also handing off knowledge to some guys to make us a better team here in Seattle. Talking with Kendall Graveman, right-hander for Seattle Mariners. Kendall, one of the things I know that you will do is you will tell me I'm wrong on something. And a lot of that is because you're, you're frustrated at me because I'm a better fisherman than you are. Let me ask you this question. Sometimes we always talk about, as a pitcher, one of the hardest things to do as a reliever is to pitch when you're behind. When you come into a game and you may be down two runs or down one run, and I've always said that may be the toughest thing for a pitcher to do is to pitch in a deficit to try to keep it where it is. Am I right on that? It's amazing because I had this conversation with one of our mental skills coach the other day. Uh, it happened the other day to me. 
Um, starter uh, went out there and got hit around a little bit, and we were down. And I came in and got hit around a little bit. And next day I came in and got hit around a little bit. And it's nobody ever stopped the bleeding. But then it's all a mindset, and I think that's why it's the hardest thing to do is to come in with that mentality like to stop the bleeding and make it no one else score and get the momentum back on our side. And you see a lot of times when a pitcher has the ability to come in, there's a special makeup about that guy. And it honestly gives confidence to your offense to, okay, settle back into a ball game, especially if the starter has has had a rough one, which happens. It's going to happen over a long season. Um, and, and to come out and win those games are huge. But you look at closers that come in in non-safe situations and they end up giving up runs when they usually don't or they end up not even be able to make it out of the inning. And it's very tough to see, but nothing changed physically for, for them. The only thing that could have changed is the mentality. And I think that's a huge aspect of what I'm trying to learn and gain coming in, pitching in games where you're leading and also games where you're, where you're losing is how can I best benefit my team? And it's honestly just to put up a zero. That's got to be the main goal every time you go out there. Oh, Kendall, you know, you were in, in college pitching around 90 to 91, and now the increased velocity over your career. And I, I just think back to your time in Starkville. It was pitching down in the zone. It was getting arm side run. It was, you know, working change-ups against left-handed hitters. And now – it's almost like you're a completely different guy. It's almost like you reinvented yourself. What's the difference in you right now at age 30? And you're talking about how old you feel. Let me tell you something. Give you about 10, 15 <laughs> more years. You're going to really feel old. But the difference in you right now as a pitcher compared to where you were in 2013, eight years ago when you left here, where are you at right now? I'm throwing a breaking ball, which is amazing. I'm like, <laughs> the first time in my career, I mean, I threw one, but I don't even know if I could, because everybody said, hey, it's a good oh breaking ball. If somebody tells you that, then you have a bad breaking ball. So <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I'm struggling to find this. And honestly, last year when I was trying to be a reliever, I had a pitching coach down in the taxi squad that was in Tacoma that we had because of COVID last year. And I was down there trying to just figure out how to do this and, I've been searching for a breaking ball better part of 29 years and, and and he taught me and now it's a weapon for me and it's a plus breaking ball and I'm excited to to show it this year and, and to use it. And then also just to never become complacent. My dad has always has preached that uh, always try to get better, continue to, to learn and grow. And I focused on my body over those past eight years to get stronger, you know, topped out at 99 last year and, just blessed and fortunate to to be able to be healthy and throwing the baseball with velocity and it's it's a big change but I, I wouldn't traded it I wouldn't have traded it for anything uh, I wasn't a high draft pick because of my stuff I got drafted because I was able to pitch and then when the velocity and the the stuff has come I still have that knowledge and know how to pitch I think the worst thing that could happen is guys overpower their opponents for so long at the high school and even college level and never really learn how to pitch. And then they get to a level where the competition is equaled out and then they're, they're lost. They're trying to figure out now I got to learn how to pitch. I'm so glad that I at 88 to 90 miles an hour and coach Thompson and the coaching staff that we had at Mississippi state, which was an unbelievable staff taught me how to pitch. And I had to learn because if not, I was going to get beat up in the sec and it's just been special kind of looking back over the, the past eight years, the journey that it's been and kind of who I've formed into and become and never thought I'd be a back end of a game guy. But here I am this year starting out, 
hopefully being able to, to seal some games for the Mariners at the end of it. I want to go back to nine years ago. One of the games I really remember of yours, 2012, almost nine years ago on this exact day, as a matter of fact, down in Baton Rouge. We're 0-2 in the SEC. You're taking the mound. We got Aaron Nola going for LSU. You're going for Mississippi State. And the stat line is amazing. Nine innings, one earned run, didn't have a strikeout, but you got 19 ground outs in the ball game against LSU. What do you remember back in that 2012 game? I remember having a feeling that we got beat up the first two days. Uh, I remember taking a baseball and feeling like I needed to, to have a good outing. And, and I remember going back to those days, Coach Thompson preaching all the time, just be who you are, be who you are. Don't try to be someone else. And that's who I was. I was a ground ball guy. And to be able to go out there and show it that game, of course, we had an unbelievable defense. We played very well defensively. But I think that kind of set us up for some success. And, man, it's always good to get handed the ball as a starter. And, and you always want to get 27 outs. You want to complete a game. And those are special moments. You know, you don't forget those days. And, man, I I remember, you know, having some good games there. But that is one that really sticks out. And, and a special – I mean, how many guys can say they rolled 19 ground balls in a game? It's, it just doesn't happen. It's not something that you're going to see – on the stat line, it's going to say zero Ks when they show the box score. But at the end of the day, we got a win, and, and it kind of catapulted us to having some, some success that year. Talking with Kendall Graven of the Seattle Mariners. Kendall, here's the thing that – and Charlie and I have talked about this a number of times to, to different guys. We talked to Adam Frazier about it last year. And here's the thing I remember about you guys, and I'm not saying this because you're on the air, but you know, off the field, great conversationalists, great people – but when you walk between the lines, it was like a switch that flipped with you guys in the, the competitive mode of that team. I look back to 2013, okay, and we had lost the first two games like we did in 2012 to LSU, and I know you know where I'm going with this. And so I'm <laughs> going to ask you a multiple-choice question, okay? You had pinpoint control <laughs> in the first inning against LSU here in Starkville. We had lost the first two days. Mason Katz had hit like three home runs, and he's leading off the second inning, and you were really good in the first. And then all of a sudden in the second inning, he's leading off. The first pitch sails behind his head. Was it A, did the ball slip out of your hand? B, were you throwing at him? Or C, were you just kind of sending a message out there on the field that day? Are you trying to get me in trouble? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, honestly, I think honestly, no. I would plead the fifth. You can plead the fifth <laughs> right here. You can plead the fifth. It's all fun and games. We're playing LSU this weekend, and I thought I would bring that up because I thought it's it was fun. It's such a good. I mean, it's. A, I mean, in the moment, I'm. I'm young and it's competitive juices. I, I. One thing that you brought up is that team. It didn't matter what we did. If we we had a ping pong table in the clubhouse, and I, there was guys pissed off, like really mad when they lost in ping pong matches, and. Guys want rematches and, hey, I'm not leaving. Play me again. Like, I got to go, you know. But at the end of the day, uh, there wasn't anything malicious that I wanted to come out of it, but I did want our, our team to realize, hey, sometimes we got to stand up for ourselves and, and, and a guy that's hot. I mean, you see it, the game has changed so much, and it's like it, it's taboo right now to be able to brush somebody back. And I have pinpoint control. But I, I kind of didn't pinpoint that one. I didn't honestly want it behind his head. I wanted it a little bit lower. But at the end of the day, I, I think it set a tone, and we won that game, and it went up 
going to College World Series and getting beat in the finals that year on a good run. But, I mean, to be honest and completely honest, I think everyone knows that – hopefully everyone knows I wasn't trying to be malicious. But at the end of the day, I did want the guys to know, hey, we're in for a dogfight. And if we're not going to, you know, step up when a guy's hot, then make him feel a little uncomfortable in the box. I believe I struck him out on a right and right changeup, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Which I never, is correct. <laughs> which, which I never threw. But in the moment, I was like, you know, everybody's – I'm, I'm going to slow it down a little bit, see if you can hit it. And uh, I think he went 0 for 3 that day. So I think I got called a coward after the game by – some people so but well I, but we ended up winning a game so it was good and and i think you know to be honest with you and jumping back to what you just said a minute ago i think it was more for our dugout than anybody else it was it was more <laughs> toward us and not and not lsu in, in any way hey let me ask you this question and and we charlie and i banner back and forth about this on a lot of broadcasts talking about you had tommy john a couple of years ago and, and and the bounce back from Tommy John, we've always talked about that first year back, the guys are kind of you know, soul-searching and trying to find themselves. But now you're two years back. How does your arm feel now compared to what it was before? Is there a different feel to what you throw? Is there a different velocity? Is there a different just a, a different feel for you out on the mound after going through the Tommy John situation? Well, not to get too long-winded, but I was going through Tommy John's surgery, and three months after, I had an issue with my neck and found out it was a benign bone tumor in my cervical spine, which I don't know if we've talked about, Bart, but it was something that, I mean, it, it was crazy scenario, and I didn't know if I was ever going to pitch again, honestly. And and every time I threw a baseball, it, it, it was painful. And for the better part of two years, it was it was rough. I had no passion, really, for the game. It's hard to put yourself through pain every day and just be like, I want to go do this, which hopefully people listen to this and, and yourself, Bart, and you guys know that that's the furthest thing from me. I, I love the game of baseball. And for me to say that was tough. And then coming out of Tommy John surgery, I'm, I'm so blessed and thankful. And uh, the neck is feeling a ton better. They just, from the location it was, they couldn't do surgery on it. And um, now I'm not having any pain and just, the arm has not never felt better. Uh, it's almost like I didn't have surgery. I have a, I, I went out through the day uh, today, and I was kind of begging to go in a game, but they were like, "Hey, let's hold it off another day." And I, I feel like I'm in better shape now than I was. I know one thing from surgery, what I learned, and how I grew, especially was how to be a better teammate, a, a, a better person, and a better husband and father, and. To me, all those things, the game was taken away. I was anonymous for a two-year period. It was about 24 months from the time I threw a pitch in the big leagues to the next time I threw a pitch. And during those two years, I grew up a lot and just thankful that my relationship with the Lord and, and the walk of just faith um, and now realizing that it's not all about me. I'm, I'm in such a better place. And to be able to help teammates and, and just walk life and do life with those guys has been uh, honestly a miracle. Um, so. To answer the question, the arm has never felt better. I honestly do feel better this year than I did last year because the second year, I mean, studies show that guys are better the second year after Tommy John opposed to the first year. So I feel like I'm on that track, and I'm excited to have a good year this year. Hey, I know you're a guy. You know, you grew up in Alabama, but you're a Mississippi State guy. We've been on the broadcast before 
and I told Charlie this, you've seen, shown me a screenshot of you actually watching one of our games while in the bullpen, <laughs> you know, at, at another organization. How often right. How often do you keep up with, with what's going on with Mississippi State baseball? I keep up. And, I mean, the, the series earlier in the year, they got a little chippy against Tulane. Is the guys fall back and battled and hit walk-offs. And, and you know, if the team's had a couple walk-offs this year. There's – I haven't sat down and watched the game start to finish. There's somebody on YouTube that honestly posts like 15-minute clips and recaps the entire game, and I'll sit and watch everyone that he posts with Mississippi State. And it's such an easy way to to keep up. I I love Mississippi State. I love Mississippi State baseball. I mean, watching the guys play this year has been phenomenal. There's some leaders on that team. And then going back this offseason and just being around one day throwing a a bullpen in the lab – uh, early one day when no one was there, uh, myself and Woody and Stratton, uh, to see those guys again over there, it's a special place. It holds a special place in my heart. I can't wait for, for Duty Noble to be packed out. And To me, I love keeping up. I've kept up. I know a lot of the guys on the team by name. They probably have no clue who I am if we walked in the door. But at the end of the day, I, I, I'm going to follow Mississippi State baseball uh, for as long as I can, and I will be forever in debt to that program. Kendall, great to talk with you as always. Kendall Graben with the Seattle Mariners. Appreciate you taking your time during spring training, brother. Thank you, Bart. Thank you, thank you. Kendall Graben of the Seattle Mariners. And when we come back, Charlie and I will have a final word here on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Well, great conversation with Kendall. There's a guy, man, I just think the world of. The guy that had a bulldog mentality when he got out on the mound, but away from the field, just one of the most fantastic people you can ever talk to. And he's had a lengthy career now. It's hard to believe. He said he's just 30. He's been in the big leagues since 2014 with the A's. With the, Started out with the Blue Jays, and he went to the A's, and now with the Seattle Mariners. And so – Always good to talk to Kendall. Once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Check them out at favorites.com. Agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. And so go by and get those great rates, but the perfect service from your insurance provider at Farm Bureau Insurance. Okay, Charlie. Friday, Saturday, Sunday down in Baton Rouge against the LSU Fighting Tigers. Charlie, yeah, we talked earlier with Skip Burtman. This used to be... It still is one of the bigger rivalries in college baseball. It used to be kind of the rivalry in college baseball. And, boy, a big weekend series to get it started down in Baton Rouge. And it's going to be interesting, this LSU team all of a sudden looking a little bit like the old LSU teams. And that is hitting a lot of balls out of the park right now. 33 home runs that leads the nation. Right at two home runs per game. You know, LSU coming in, they off to a 15-3 and three start. Dylan Cruz – has done a good job of getting on base. He's hitting 406. This is an LSU team that really has come from behind late in some games. They lost early in the year to Air Force. They really pieced together some late at bats against UT San Antonio, but they lost two of three a couple of weeks ago to Oral Roberts. So you really don't know what you're going to get. You got a good offensive team. But they've really struggled at times on the mound. That's the second worst ERA in the league on the pitching mound. 
Yeah, it is. Now, to put that second-worst ERA in the league in a little bit of perspective, you could double it, and they would still be second-worst in the league. And the, Missouri's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and their team ERA is almost eight, I think. So it is a high ERA in the mid-threes, I think it is right now for LSU. But they have struggled in the bullpen at times. And the starting pitching has been, I don't know, how would you describe it, uneven? Yeah, Marceau has been really good in that second spot. In that Saturday spot, 23 innings of work, just 12 hits. Teams are batting just 150, and so he, he's got really good stuff. And then at the top of their rotation, Jaden Hill, you know, he had a bad outing a couple of weeks ago against Oral Roberts, 2-1 and one record. He came back well this past week against Texas San Antonio, and LaBasse on the, in the game on Sunday, so I mean, they've got a formidable rotation. Yeah, Hill is a top-five draft prospect. He had that one just awful outing against Oral Roberts, gave up eight runs, only got one out, and that's really skewed his numbers here early in the year. Every other outing, he's been good. It's going to be interesting to see. That's a guy making a transition into a starting role. We kind of talked to Kendall about going from starter to reliever. Hill was more of a reliever becoming a starter. There's going to be some pressure on the home team too, but I think this is going to be a huge series. One of these teams is going to leave winning two of them, and they're going to feel pretty good about where they stand. You know, we've won some games in a row. What have we won? Seven in a row. LSU has won six in a row. They won Tuesday night against Southeastern Louisiana, 10-7. to seven. You look back to last weekend, they won 3-1 to one over Texas San Antonio, 3-1 to one on Friday, 10-9 to nine on Saturday. That game went, like, what, 13 innings? And then the Sunday game, they won 13-12. to 12. And in both of those games, they had to come from behind late. They had some late home runs. They lost two to Oral Roberts a couple of weeks ago. They lost to um, to Air Force early in the season. So this is a team at fifteen and three. And you know we're talking about an LSU team that, hey, they don't feel as good pitching wise as you know we're, we're probably better pitching. They hit some home runs. They strike out a lot, but they're still fifteen and three. Yeah, look, it's still a good team, and I'm going to be interesting. I thought you said something on the broadcast earlier in the week that is going to be really interesting, and that is how big the strike zone was as we were playing in that ball game against Samford. How tight is it going to be? That strike zone can tighten up in league play. How does your pitching adjust to that? That's going to be interesting to see. You know, I think about a guy like Marcus Patillo, say in SEC play. There's a guy with a notoriously small strike zone. Jack Cox used to have a very small strike zone. You never wanted to see Jack Cox coming. I mean, he was a long time. And he was, hey, he was consistent. He was consistently tight. And so you look over the last couple of weeks, I think back to these three games we had this past weekend against Eastern Michigan and some of the Kent State games where you had big zones. To me this year, Charlie, am I wrong by saying I've seen bigger zones this year, strike zones, than I've seen in the past? Oh, absolutely. I can't think of a time this year that we've said that we're really getting squeezed right here. So you take from that, I've got a guy on the mound who's used to getting a ball out on the outside corner. Brandon Smith. And now all of a sudden you get to the weekend and you get in league play, you get on the road, and all of a sudden you're not getting that call. And now all of a sudden what does it do to you from a mental standpoint? What does it do to a Landon Sims? What does it do to some of these guys who are used to getting that, that pitch on the outside corner? So you have to go into this from a mental standpoint of thinking, hey, it, it may be a little bit different than we've seen early on because here's the last thing you want to happen. is you The last thing you want to happen is a strike zone to get tight, and all of a sudden you think you have to groove fastballs, especially to this LSU team, in that ballpark. 
Yes. So I guess all that is a way to say this. If we could take the umpiring that we've had the past few weeks, feel good take about it, it on down to Baton Rouge, I feel pretty good. Just load these guys up and take them down there. <laughs> exactly. Do you feel like we'll see any kind of shakeup in our rotation? We haven't heard just yet. You know, Christian McLeod Friday, Sarantola Saturday. Both those guys kind of answered the bell this past weekend. Yeah, I feel like if you were going to do it, why not do it last weekend? Particularly when if the idea is, all right, we're going to run Sarantola out there one more time and give him a chance, I think he answered the call. I mean, the only run he gave up was an opposite field home run that just carried out. It wasn't like he was getting, you know, beat around. You know, he hit a couple of guys in that first inning, but then he came back, and I thought after the second inning, second through fifth was really good. Really was. Jackson Fristo got the freshman. First true road games this year. We played out in Arlington. We played in Pearl, so we played some neutral sites. First time going on the road. Of course, it's not going to be full capacity. It'll be a different feel down in Baton Rouge, but still, it's a tough place to play. Let me ask you this. Go back to the question on the rotation. If I told you that the rotation was going to be different, which do you think is more likely, that Sarantola comes out of the rotation or that Fristo does? That's a really good question. And actually one I've thought about because Bednar is on the cusp. He's right he's, there, man. He's right there getting back in it. He's right back ready to get in the ball game. And so then you, you've got to ask yourself that question of – do you send Fristo back to the, to the bullpen or to the bullpen for the first time? What does that do to the freshman? Well, and here's the other thing. There's not much of a scout on Bednar, really. Not the way there is on Fristo, wouldn't you say? Man, I'll tell you what. Goodness. Bednar stuff looks good. His but, fastball looks good. His slider looks good. He just looks outstanding and overpowering right now. That's something, something to watch. I think if I'm the LSU coaching staff, I have more of ability right now to game plan against Fristo than I do against Bednar. Probably so. Probably so. be interesting to see what we do. Hey, good show today. Enjoyed it. Kendall Graveman, Skip Burtman. Learned a lot about Coach Polk. He can play shortstop and softball. <laughs> That's good stuff as always. Hey, appreciate you listening to us. Thanks to our sponsors. Farm Bureau, go with the home team, Country Pleasing Sausage, and then our friends at Heartland Catfish. And so until next week, actually we'll join you again on Sunday for Sunday Coffee, even though we're on the road. So we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.